0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to The Nursing Co-op. I'm really excited that you guys are here for today's episode because we are going to talk about a very practical topic. We're going to chat a little bit about oxygen delivery, so the devices that we might use, and a couple quick interventions you can do if your patient is desatting. Of course, there is so much more that we can talk about beyond anything that I can fit into one quick episode. So I'm just going to brush the surface, kind of talk about a few quick things that we can cover to kind of have just to put little nuggets in your brain. The next time this happens with your patient, you just have a few little things that you can pull from to um, intervene yourself before you get more help. Or if it's just quick little things you can do for your patients to help bring their oxygen back up when you don't necessarily need help or an emergency situation, just little things that. can plant in your brain that might be helpful for you. Of course, there's a lot more that we could chat about on this topic. If you guys have some specific questions or specific areas that you want to dive into more, maybe some more detail in certain things, definitely reach out. I'm always happy to go further into topics if it's something you guys are interested in. But I also like to try and make these episodes Smaller and digestible, so that I'm not overloading you with information. You got enough of that in nursing school, so now I'm just trying to give you little pieces of information that I think might be helpful for you in your practice. So I know that when I first started out, I used to just get so confused about the different devices that we use for oxygenation. Um, there's so many terms thrown around, and there's so many little factors that you need to remember for each one, like how many liters they can go up to, or you know what the progression of devices is there's so many things to remember. And for some reason, I always kind of struggled to remember all the specifics. So if you were in that boat, we're going to talk about a few of these devices that you commonly will use so that you can kind of gain that familiarity. Now, in terms of perspective, I just want to give a little bit of a disclaimer here. I am not going to delve into intubation and, and more ICU type discussion of these oxygenation devices because that's a whole other episode. Intubation is is its own thing, something usually mostly managed by respiratory therapy. So I want to talk about what to do if you have a patient who is not intubated, who is desatting. Maybe you're on the floor. Maybe you're in a procedural area like I am. So I'll let you know what perspective I'm coming from because different scenarios will typically only happen in certain areas. So like what I deal with in a procedural area is a little bit different than what you might see on the floor. So I'm going to talk about each of those things. So just keep that in the back of your mind that what I'm saying is different depending on what unit or what area you are working in. Okay, so quickly, just to start, I'm going to talk about a few of the reasons why your patient might be desetting. These are the first things that you need to be thinking of because it can change what intervention you choose. So your patient may be desatting because of progression of disease. That is something you can't just instantly, you know, fix. Um, if they are, if they have pneumonia and it's just worsening, that is something to consider, but not necessarily something you can just get rid of or give a certain med and it's going to fix it. But it's good to know why your patient is desatting in the first place. If it is per- progression of a disease like pneumonia, maybe it is that they need to cough up uh, some sputum. Maybe they've got some sort of plug going on and they're having a hard time moving that that can cause some desaturation. It may also be something like you know that your patient has COPD. You know that they have emphysema. You know that they have some sort of respiratory disease. So you may have more of an expectation that they're going to desat from time to time. So that'll change your interventions as well if you have, if they have some sort of known disease that is impacting their respiratory system. It might also be that you have a patient who is having a lot of pain and you are frequently medicating them, you're frequently giving pain medication, or in my case, I am intentionally giving procedural sedation medication, and all of those things can decrease respiratory drive and cause the patient to be sleepy and not take breaths. So that's important to consider as well because there are specific interventions that we can do if a patient is oversedated. It's not always the first thing you want to jump to, but it's good to know so that you can get something like Narcan if you need to or call a RAPID and have the RAPID team administer that medication if it's appropriate, if they've just gotten too many narcotics or too overly sedated. As long as you have the appropriate reversal agent, you can do that. It is pretty uncomfortable for that patient, so it's not something to just be doing all the time but it's definitely an option if that is why your patient is desetting. So start by looking at your patient and considering why they are desetting. I'm not saying stand there for 20 minutes and try and figure it out. Intervene. But as you're doing so, think about why this is happening because that's going to change which interventions you choose. The other thing to consider here is at what point that you will intervene, like at what SpO2 level will you be intervening for this patient? It's different on depending on where you're working. It's different depending on policy. So just know at what point you intervene. So I know in certain areas it's higher. It's like 94%. If you drop below that, then you know they're getting a nasal cannula device or something like that. I know for certain diseases too, you have to consider like COPD. We don't want to over oxygenate. So it's when they drop more like 88% that we're intervening. So know what it is for your specific area. And if you have a patient who is constantly kind of going up and down, consider that as well. Do I need to intervene or are they just going to bounce right back if they've been going down and up this whole time? As always, the first thing that I want you to do is walk into your patient's room. Like maybe you got a call and said, oh, this person is at 80% or something. Walk in your room and assess your patient. That is the first thing to do always. Are they talking to you? Do they look like they're in distress? Are they struggling to breathe? Are they coughing a lot? What are they doing? So that visual assessment and talking to your patient is the first thing to always do. Because sometimes you walk into the room and that SPO2 monitor is on the floor. So no wonder you're not getting a reading. But you didn't need to run in panicking in that case, right? You just needed that simple assessment to troubleshoot things. So start with your basic visual assessment. Talk to your patient. Do they seem like they're in distress? If so, let's figure this out. Let's intervene. The next thing to always do, this is the same thing for blood pressure that we talked about is check your equipment because we rely so much on this equipment that we use, um especially if they're on continuous monitoring. that stuff can fall off or not have a good connection or you know they don't have great circulation in their fingers or whatever it is. So first thing, troubleshoot that equipment to see if you're even getting an accurate reading in the first place. This is usually my one of my first steps. of course, I assess my patients, see what how responsive they are but also what's my equipment doing? So if you have continuous monitoring equipment, you can usually, there's a setting you can go to to put a waveform up. If you don't have a very good waveform for that SPO2 monitor, it's not very accurate. So try switching it to a different finger, try the ear, um, try the toe, you know, maybe they have nail polish on. Nail polish impacts how accurate that device is. So look at your device first, and see if it's working appropriately. If you throw that waveform up there and it looks perfect, then obviously we've got an issue and we need to move forward with intervening. But check your equipment. Next thing that comes with that assessment is what is your patient doing in that moment? Are they sleeping? Do they have sleep apnea issue? That is super common. I see more patients that when they lay flat, their oxygen drops, especially when they fall asleep because they have severe sleep apnea that's probably untreated. So does your patient have sleep apnea? If so, are they desetting severely? Do we need to wake them up? I know it's not overly pleasant and we don't always want to do that, but if they aren't getting the oxygen they need, then they need to be woken up. So Wake them up if you if you need to. Are they laying flat? And maybe it's going to work a lot better for them if they're sitting up. Sit them up if you can. Um, or just, you know, put some pillows behind their back. A lot of people, that is the key to bring their oxygen back up because they do have a certain amount of either sleep apnea or their body habitus, like just impacts their lungs ability to expand when they are laying flat um, there's a number of factors so sit them up if, if you can if it's appropriate if they are like desperately needing to sit up and they're in, like the tripod position that's a whole other deal that is more severe but sometimes it's just as simple as sitting them up a little bit and their oxygen comes back up give them instruction have them take some deep breaths um if you already have nasal cannula on them, instruct them on how to breathe with that nasal cannula and breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth. Sometimes that instruction is all they need to bring their oxygen back up because they were breathing through their mouth or just not focusing on their breathing. And so they were starting to desaturate a little bit. So those are like very simple things you can do if you have a minor desaturation or a patient who you know is kind of going up and down a little bit, you can help them in that way let's talk a little bit more about in a more urgent situation where you have a patient quickly desaturating or um, you know struggling to breathe in respiratory distress that is when you have to move very quickly and it's important to know the progression of things that you can do to uh, to help your patient maintain their airway and oxygenation as the nurse so let's talk about a more emergent situation. And we could also call this an urgent situation because it depends on the area that you're working in. Like where, I, where I'm working, when my patient's oxygen drops, it's not necessarily an emergency, but it is very urgent that I take care of that before it becomes an emergency. So just think of those kind of similarly. It's on the path to emergency is obviously urgency. So we've kind of talked about the scenario where you have a more awake patient that you can give instruction to and ask them to do things or sit them up. Some of those less um, invasive techniques, you can do those things for people who are a lot more awake and maybe are just having a little bit of a desaturation. You can give them instruction. In this case, let's assume that we have a patient who is either non-responsive or less responsive. So a very, very sick patient or an overly sedated patient in my realm. So first thing, as always, is go into the room, assess your patient. Are they laying flat or are they sitting up? Do they have a ton of pillows kind of crooking their neck a little bit? Are they snoring? Are they breathing through their mouth and the oxygen is in their nose? What are they doing first and what is their oxygen doing? So when we look at the SpO2, is it, you know, just teetering, kind of hanging out at 88% or are we quickly dropping? All of these little pieces are going to determine what you do next. If you have a patient who is slumped over in bed, barely taking, you know, a couple breaths and looks like they're turning blue and their oxygen dropping fast, you're not going to waste time seeing if the SpO2 is accurate. You're going to be calling a rapid or at least yelling for help. And if they don't have a pulse, you're calling a code. It really depends. So assess their patient and determine your next steps. So for me, the progression of steps that I will take if a patient's oxygen is dropping, um, and this is in my realm, but I think it translates definitely to the floor or wherever you're working, you can follow these things as well. You can at least have them as check boxes in your head before you're escalating to different devices um, or you're doing these at the same time. So number one, if they're flat, then I like to remove pillows because that's going to help put them put their airway in the appropriate position. It's going to help open up their airway. If you remember on the you know CPR dummy, right? For adults, we are kind of doing the jaw thrust and tilting their head. So removing a pillow is not the most comfortable in the world for the patient, but at this point, we don't really care about that. We want them to breathe. So remove their pillow, see if that helps. You can also, again, we're trying to wake them up a little bit, see if they can follow directions because that's going to help them um, take some deep breaths or do whatever you need them to do. So you can kind of try and wake them up, see if they'll wake up for you. If you are in an emergent or urgent situation where you're going to be calling for help too, it's better if you have your patient um, flat, if you're going to be doing any sort of bagging or other sorts of more invasive interventions. Um, So just keep that in mind, depending on where you're progressing to, where you're going. You may want to think about getting them more flat if if you need to do something more invasive um but either yeah check where they're positioned remove that pillow get their get their airway in the appropriate position you can do a jaw thrust in the meantime as well as you're getting other things ready just you know help open up that airway. And if it's appropriate, you can also throw in an oral airway or a nasopharyngeal airway, um, depending on your patient's state and what's what's appropriate for them, because um, that's going to help open up their airway. And whatever device ox- oxygen device you use, that's going to ensure that you have an open airway that you're putting oxygen into. So those are all appropriate steps for you to take as things progress. And now let's let's chat a little bit about the devices that you might use. I'm not going to cover every single one, um, but I'm going to talk about the ones that I commonly use and the ones I see most often, at least in the past couple years. So first, obviously, is your nasal cannula. That's usually the first thing that you're going for, um, depending on your patient's anatomy as well. So for patients who have had any sort of nasal trauma or things like that, you, you probably won't use a nasal cannula. You might jump to a mask or you're at least putting that nasal cannula in their mouth. But if it's a super awake patient, that's not something they really enjoy. So a mask is more appropriate if they have some sort of anatomical issues. Um, So nasal cannula. Now, a nasal cannula will go from essentially half a liter per minute all the way up to six. Um, Now, keep this in mind. I kind of never thought about this until I was in a more emergent situation. If you only have a nasal cannula in and you've got to do a couple other things for your patient as they're desatting, crank it up. You're blowing their, their nostrils out and it's not comfortable, but you can crank your oxygen up, your liters per minute up, even though you know they have a nasal cannula in, it's not like the thing is going to explode. Just, but you're getting them some oxygen as you're doing other things. It's okay for you to go past what is what you think is appropriate for something um, while you're doing other things. I know that, that that your textbooks don't tell you that, but if it's an emergency, just get them oxygen, however is appropriate. So as you're opening another mask or something, crank it in their for in their nasal cannula. So all the way up to six. The second piece to kind of talk about with any device is the FiO2 that they are getting when you are using a certain device. I'm not going to go into the specific numbers just because it's not useful for you to know that. I just want you to know the progression. So any of the devices, so nasal cannula, simple, or an Oxymask, a non-rebreather, all of those are considered low flow devices. Low flow devices have variable FiO2 that you are administering to the patient because it, it's kind of mixing with the air. So you're, you don't have a very set amount that you are giving them versus a high flow device like a heated high flow has a very specific fixed FiO2 that you are delivering. So you don't need to go crazy knowing that. All I want you to know is a nasal cannula has um, the lowest FiO2 that you are delivering versus you know, an oxymask has more and then a non-rebreather is has the most essentially that you are, are delivering. So just just keep that in the back of your mind. I say this because if you have a patient who is quickly desaturating and they are on a nasal cannula, I don't want you to bother going to a simple mask. I'd rather you just jump to a non rebreather because you know in your head, you're like, Okay, which one gives the most FIO two? that would be my non-rebreather. So I'm just gonna to jump to that one if they are, you know, quickly um, deteriorating. So just keep that in your mind. Second second thing you'd progress to. So nasal cannula, I then would go to a simple mask. You can also use an oxymask depending on what your unit has. My unit always has simple masks. So that is my my go to for my next. Um and I, I'll jump to this too if I have a patient who is just a mouth breather and they just need that extra seal. Um so that is also an appropriate reason to to progress to a mask. You can also just take your nasal cannula and put it in their mouth if they are a mouth breather. But again, not everyone likes that. Um, Your patient may not tolerate it very well. And they also still may be desaturating where you could just throw a simple mask on and that would be enough for them. Oh, another little trick with a nasal cannula, if you guys are in a pinch um, and your patient just needs a little extra support, if you put it in their nose and they're, your, you know, their mouth breather, breather or they're kind of breathing through both, sometimes I'll throw just their, their mask on, their like paper mask or whatever they're using in the hospital if they have one in their room. I know this is kind of special to the times that we are in right now, but you can also just throw their mask on top of that nasal cannula and it kind of s- creates a little bit of a seal enough that it's helping uh, circulate that oxygen. So another little option for you. But if you're, you can jump to a simple mask, that's going to give you more coverage and give you a better seal and deliver more FiO2. And you can also go all the way up to 15 liters per minute. So if you're already getting to five or so, just swap it out um, as long as it's not that they're deteriorating quickly. If they are, then we move to the next step. We would just skip over the simple max and I would go to a non-rebreather. So a couple key things with your non-rebreather mask. You should be usually at at least 10 liters per minute all the way up to 15 or above if you're in a pinch um, for that bag to properly inflate because that is an important piece of using a non-rebreather. A non-rebreather has a couple one-way valves on it that help it work appropriately. So the first one, make sure that air from the outside is not going into the bag. So it's blocking that air from coming in so that you are just delivering the oxygen from the bag. So it's just oxygen flowing for the patient and not room air. And then the other one-way valve allows the patient to breathe out and that exhaled air to leave the bag, but doesn't let any air come in. So it's preventing the rebreathing of that CO2. So And that's the other reason it's important for you to inflate To at least ten liters per minute, so that they aren't rebreathing CO2, because that's not going to help them in this situation. So make sure you're at least at least ten liters, all the way up to fifteen. You can crank this though. So like sometimes I just crank it past fifteen on the wall, because you are getting some more oxygen with that. Beyond a non rebreather, and I mean at this point, if you are throwing this on your patient, they should you should be calling a rapid anyway. But if you're progressing quickly and you're waiting for help you can do a couple things for yourself because the devices beyond that you need a respiratory therapist for typically so usually they jump to a heated high flow device and that is something they need to bring and set up and all of this stuff or intubation if that is how if that's the direction we're going it really depends for this patient so you should be calling a rapid at this point um But in the meantime, there are a couple little things that you can do with your non-rebreather that can help you. Um, Or if you're in a procedural setting like me, these are things that I do with my non-rebreather that just help my patient bounce back as they're waking up a little bit. Or, you know, if they're really sick and I'm waiting for help, I'm still doing these things to help support their oxygenation. And you can also... uh, Always, if all of these devices aren't working for you, that is when you were grabbing an Ambu bag. You are bagging that patient. Make sure that you attach it to oxygen on the wall. But that is your next step here. If you are really waiting on help and nobody's coming, bag your patient. But let's talk about the non-rebreather and little little things that you can do with that device that will help you. So first thing, throw in that oral airway if they are still desaturating. Throw in the oral airway and then you have your non-rebreather. So make sure that you have a good seal for your non-rebreather as much as you can, even if that's you helping by holding your hands around it and and sealing it off. The other nice thing that you can do with a non-rebreather, again, this is not something they talk about in textbooks and I'm sure some people would be like, you shouldn't do that with a non-rebreather, but it works um, if you're in a pinch. You're kind of making sure that you've got a good seal and you can squeeze your non-rebreather bag um and kind of it's almost it's not an ambu bag if you need to progress to an ambu bag progress to an ambu bag but sometimes it can just just be enough of a little punch for your patient that it brings them back up so i will kind of squeeze my non rebreather bag almost like an ambu bag again just like an ambu bag we are not rapidly squeezing this thing let it inflate again but it can help you deliver some extra bursts of oxygen as you're waiting for some assistance so just remember that one too squeeze the bag shoot that oxygen in um, and just make sure you have a a good seal on that mask. Okay, so nasal cannula, we move on to a simple mask and then we move on to a numery breather. If that's not working, we are bagging the patient until help comes. Usually beyond these devices, we're using a heated high flow device or the patient's being intubated. It really depends on where we're at. Um, And if you are supporting their oxygenation, they are quickly dropping and you lose a pulse, your priority then becomes your compression. So just keep that in mind as you're taking care of a patient, especially if they're deteriorating quickly. You got to remember that it's not just their breathing that you want to worry about. It's their circulation as well. So watch your patient. Consider it. Obviously, at this point, I hope that you have somebody else at the bedside helping you, even if the rapid response team or the co-team's not there. Your charge should be there, somebody else in the hallway, attack anyone. Grab who you can to grab things for you or be checking their pulse because that, you know, that could change quickly. So just have some help with you. Um, and then again, just to recap a little bit, some of the things you can do for your patients, sit them up if it's appropriate, if they're just kind of slowly desaturating, um, you know, you can always do a draw thrust, you can remove the pillow, make sure you're opening that airway um, and wake them up, have them do take deep breaths if that's possible. If it's not, then you need to make sure that their or, their airway is open yourself. So you can use oral airways, nasopharyngeal airways, whatever you have available to you. You can do a jaw thrust while you're waiting for those devices if they're not just readily available as well. And this is kind of why you need a runner because they're the ones that can, they need to run and get these things for you. Okay. I really just wanted to do a very quick little episode on this. There are, of course, so many more things that I could talk to you guys about. There are so many more situations that you will run into that are different than what I'm talking about today. So if you have any specific questions on this area, oxygenation, how to support your patient, how to use these devices, let me know. I'm always happy to expand in different episodes or do something really quick on Instagram also will work. I can... Throw together a little live or a video or something. If there's like little questions, I can answer for you. But I hope that this was helpful. I know that these this area was very intimidating to me for a long time, and it still still is. If your patient's desatting, it's scary. It's something that you have to respond to quickly, so it's normal to feel nervous about it, and normal to feel fumbly when you're figuring all this out and figuring out your progression. So just try and remember some of these little things that we talked about today. I hope that you guys are having a great week. I hope that this was helpful. If it was, let me know, share it with a friend and I will see you guys next time. Thank you so much for spending some time with me and our community in the nursing co-op. If you liked this episode and found some value in the content, please share it with any and all of your nursing friends on social media and tag me at Ashley underscore nursing co-op so that I can thank you personally that way, we can continue to build this community and change nursing culture for the better. I can't wait to see what we create. I will see you next week, but until then, happy nursing.